strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Don't forget, coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, my interview with Congressman Juan Siscomani. That happens at 1035. If you want to set an alarm or just download the KTAR News app and you'll be able to listen um, at your convenience or live when it happens, you'll get notified on your device. Um, Governor Hobbs has vetoed um, has vetoed the um, the skinny budget, and, and so this to me is interesting, and I'll tell you why. Um, she said that it's an insult to Arizonans, and I want to read from the letter she posted. A she made a statement, uh, Office of the Governor, uh, President Peterson. Today, I vetoed a Senate Bill fifteen twenty three along with the twelve other uh, fiscal year twenty twenty four budget bills that were transmitted to my office five weeks ago. I stood before the legislature, invoking the words of the late Governor Rose Moffert, asked the members to work with me in making difficult choices about the future of our state. I spoke about the need to address Arizona's housing crisis and all the things she wanted. Four days later, I delivered a budget proposal to the legislature that makes meaningful progress in these exact issues. Unfor- and I'm skipping down. Unfortunately, my calls to take these difficult choices and protect our state's future, the budget approved by a slim partisan majority in the legislature, takes another path, an easy path. Rather than tackling difficult choices, the budget presents Arizonans with false choices. This purely partisan budget says that we can't invest in our state now and invest in our future. It says that we can't address the challenges of today and save for the challenges of tomorrow. It says that Democrats and Republicans, we can't disagree with each other and work together in the best interest of the state. So she uh, she called this embarrassing to Arizonans. Arizonans deserve a budget that takes the real issues that are facing they are facing seriously. This do-nothing budget kicks the can down the road, and it's an insult to Arizonans who need their leaders to ad- address affordable housing, invest in public education, and put money back into their pockets. Um, I would... I would hope that as a state, we are going to get a compromise. This is going to be a very difficult time. Um, and what I mean by that is the Republicans are going to stand strong. The issue for the Republicans, and I've, I've addressed this with both the Speaker of the House and Speaker Toma and the Senate President Peterson, I, with both of them um, separately. And it is how do you keep your caucus unified? You have a one-seat majority. All you have to have is one or two go to the other side on this, and you're going to lose. So how do you keep this? And if you want to, how do you form a consensus? Because we realize that both political parties down at the state legislature, both political parties have uh, extremes and have a full spectrum inside their party. The Democrats go from far left to moderate and the Republicans go from far right to moderate. How are you able to and this is the trick for the Republicans that are in charge of the legislature. How do you keep your far right Republicans engaged and on your side while you reach out to moderate Democrats on a bill that they would approve. Now, that could be the budget. It could be anything else. But that's the trick. When you're in leadership, you have to be able to look at victory. You have to look at what's best. If both sides in this dig their heels in, Arizona's in trouble. Arizona is in trouble. If the governor says, I am not signing anything that includes this, and the Republicans say we're not voting on anything that doesn't say that, then you're playing a game of chicken. And it depends on the issue of which hill you want to die on, so to speak. When it when it comes to the budget, Arizona's um, gotten leaner and meaner with taxation. 
But we've seen a windfall in money into the legislature, into our their treasury. And we have seen a rainy day fund that works. And so I'm anxious to see when when the governor talks about investing in public education. Um, and this is my problem politically. And, and it makes me angry. And it makes me angry because if not everybody believes this. Okay, but the people that are touting the fact that there is no investment in education in Arizona. Now, again, I'm not telling you that you should believe that there has been enough investment in education. But let me just explain to you. Let's go back to the Ducey administration for just a moment. If you really want to work with the other side of the aisle. I'm going to give you some advice. Now, obviously, the governor doesn't have to take my advice, neither do the people in the legislature. But you've got to make some verbal concessions, and you've got to be able to say we can work together, not you're an idiot, we have to work together. And both sides right now are saying that. But during the Ducey administration, they gave teachers, they allotted in the budget for a 20% raise for teachers over a three-year period. That money was added. There has been an exceptional increase in spending. Now, I didn't say it was enough. I didn't say everybody should be satisfied because that is up to your individual um, belief in what we should be spending on education. What you have to acknowledge and you should be acknowledging is there was a significant rise in spending. So much so, I will say this. We have now two years in a row. We have bumped up against the aggregate expenditure limitation for education. Now, whether you believe that's enough spending or not, set aside for a moment. You have to recognize it's happened. If I were the governor, I would say in this letter and to everybody else about education, instead of investing in education, I would say we have to continue vest- investing in, in education. That the previous administration, although didn't do enough, did make big increases, showing that Republicans can and will increase spending on education. We've got to continue that trend. You're, you're extending an olive branch there. You're acknowledging that although you disagree with the previous administration on a lot of different things, you're acknowledging and you have to acknowledge that the Ducey administration and Republican legislatures did this. And I'm going to be I'm going to go out on the limb even further with the teacher organizations and the people on the on the left that tried to get rid of Governor Ducey in for before his second term. If a Democrat governor. And I'm talking about Governor Hobbs. If Governor Hobbs were in office and had got secured that much of an increase in spending and a 20% raise for teachers over a three-year period, they would be building a statue in honor of that governor. The fact that that governor had an R next to his name, first of all, and second of all, he ignored them. Governor Ducey did not engage with the AEA or the AEU or Red for Ed and did not consult with them, did not give them a seat at the table, and completely ignored them. He went to school leaders who had a say in things. He went to people that spent the money. He went to the legislature, and he talked to experts and said, we can do this. Let's get it done, and he completely ignored them. They couldn't stand him for it. But you've got to make some acknowledgments. It's time to move forward. If you want to work with the other side of the aisle, you can't just say you have to work with me. This goes for both sides, the Republicans and the Democrats. You can't say you have to work with us or you need to work with my office. You have to say, I want to work with you. Let's find places where we can agree. And I don't know. This is the, you know, again, the governor's in this office. She has got to do and set the boundaries that this is what I'm going to tolerate and this is what I'm not. I get all that. But at some point, we can't play chicken.
at some point. We have to sit down and say, I'm no way, if I were in the governor's office, I'd sit with my staff and say, there's no way we're getting everything we want with these guys. And the Republicans got to get together with their caucus and say, there's no way we're getting everything we want with this governor. Where's the compromise so we can get something done? And I'm anxious to see who does it. And I'm anxious to see how it's received by their base. That's going to be the big question. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the OAT, the Office of Accountability and Transparency. They are lamenting the change in their mission. We'll talk about that coming up in just one moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Um, Bram Resnick over at Channel 12 sat down with the head of, his name is Roger Smith. He is the head of the uh, um, Phoenix Office of Accountability and Transparency. And so I want you to hear a little bit of this. Um, they asked him what it felt like to lose investigative powers. I'm going to get into what this means in a moment. But this is Roger Smith, the, the leader of OAT. Losing that, you know, for a time or perhaps even permanently losing that. Yeah, that felt like a blow. All right, a blow to losing investigative power. So Bram Resnick follows up and wants to know why can't OAT do independent investigations? Within months after Roger Smith was hired to lead Phoenix's new Office of Accountability and Transparency, the Republican legislature thwarted the city's plans. Independent investigations of police conduct were banned. Um... Let me explain what what happened or what that means. They're not banned. If you are going to investigate the police with an organization, with a board, you have got to have police officers on the board. I don't think many people disagree with this. Maybe some do, but not many. Um, If you are going to investigate a doctor or a lawyer, you want lawyers on that board that are doing the investigation because they understand what it's like to be a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse. So at least – a big part of that board should be made up with people with police experience. Arizona is a retirement-rich environment. We've got people that have been in law enforcement here in Arizona that stay in Arizona when they retire. We have others that relocate here when they come from other places. These are people that understand policies and procedures, and these are people that understand what it means to be a police officer and that split-second decision that's made. They understand all of this. They understand the body cam angles and what the stories they tell and the stories they don't. So they are better equipped. And just like you wouldn't expect doctors to cover up for doctors or lawyers to cover up for lawyers, retired cops aren't going to cover up for retired cops. The original rules in the Office of Accountability and Transparency said you could not, you could not be a law enforcement officer, a former law enforcement officer, or a immediate family member of a law enforcement officer and have a position in that office. That's ridiculous. I want accountability. I have no problem with accountability and transparency. I think it's exactly what's needed in law enforcement. Shed light on the bad apples. I'm all in favor of it. But when you start an office... And the rules of the office say, if you work here, you cannot be a cop. That's ridiculous. And that's what it said. So when they say they can't do independent investigations, it means they can't investigate cops without having somebody do it that has law enforcement experience. 
the idea that this is so bad that cops are going to cover up for other cops so we can't have any cops involved is another slap in the face to law enforcement. Um, so now he was asked, what, what is OAT, what is the Office of Accountability and Transparency doing? So instead of investigating police shootings, Smith and his growing team are monitoring the police department's own investigation. The fatal shooting of Ali Osman last September is one of 13 police incidents currently being monitored. So here's the issue with this office as well, is that what happens, because they have no authority to enforce any laws. When you have an investigation, when there is a when there is a shooting incident or a violent incident with a police officer, the officers are investigated twice. There is a policy investigation to ensure that the way that officer behaved is within um, agency policy. And the second investigation is criminal. It's done by the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and, yes, other law enforcement officers to see if there were any criminal charges warranted. Now you have the Office of Accountability and Transparency, whose job it is. They are going to over. They're now going to look at those two investigations and render their opinion on whether or not the county attorney's office was right in a criminal investigation, and that local agency was right in Phoenix, which would be the Phoenix PD because it only handles Phoenix. If Phoenix PD was right in saying that this was within policy, so what happens? What happens in the city of Phoenix if the county attorney's office says there's no crime here and the Phoenix Police Department says, you know what? They were within policy. There may have been things they could do different. I don't like the law. I don't like the strong language, but they were within policy. And this office says, "Mm, we don't like it. We think that you could have done better. Are we open to a lawsuit because this is a, a, a government office? This is a Phoenix city office. Um, so what can they request? Where we learn of the existence of a document and we want to see it, we'll make a request for that document. And up until this point, we haven't been denied anything. Smith can also request police body camera video and audio of interviews with cops. And up to this point, they haven't been denied anything. So it sounds like transparency is happening. Now, what happens? You know, the people that say, what's the point of the office now that you can't be independent? Because I think that response undervalues monitoring and mediation. I think having the public involved in a conversation about policing is necessary. I don't believe it should only be police officers. And I don't think most people believe it should be police officers. Uh, You know, again, they're not going to put me on a civilian review board of police officers because I am so vocally and unapologetically pro-law enforcement. So even if I say to you, I've got an open mind, if a cop does something wrong, I'll call him out for it. No one's going to believe that. They're not going to put me on that board. But you shouldn't put somebody on the board on the other side that has made statements that cops are just uh, power-hungry badge wearers that want to abuse the public. But having members of the public on a board like that makes sense. But how many of you out there believe that having a board that investigates the policies and procedures of a police officer and how he or she conducted themselves in a violent situation – How many of you believe it's smart to have a group of people that have never done the job do that without any input, without any input? Now, what I did speak with Mr. Smith when he first took the job, and he said that they will reach out to law enforcement officials when they believe it's prudent. 
Well, I think it's always prudent, and I think most people do too. We want accountability. What we don't want is a witch hunt. We don't want anti-police people finding ways to punish cops for crimes they didn't commit. Or at least making accusations. Coming up in a moment, Social Security may be going broke sooner than anticipated. We'll tell you what the prediction is coming up here in just one moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. The 35th Annual Arizona Renaissance Festival has begun. The Renaissance Festival lasts each weekend until April 3rd. We're giving you a chance to win a family four-pack of tickets. Just visit the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and your chance to win. Here's a headline. Social Security set to run short of funds one year earlier than expected. We have a continued conversation and battle going on about Social Security benefits. And um, there's been a lot of misconceptions about Republicans want to end it. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I think that would be political suicide and stupid to say to people that have been paying into that system their whole lives that it's going to go away. And um, the uh, the funny thing about it is – I would say if there was a better way of doing it, this is this is as to me the closest thing that our government plays as a Ponzi scheme. Uh, they're not investing your money as you start to invest it, so your money grows, so it's there when you get older. What's happening is we are using today's contributors to pay for yesterday's contributors who are now withdrawing from the system. We've seen this happen with pensions, but with pensions they invest when they invest poorly, then people lose money. I would say that what we want in our country is for people to understand that when they get to their retirement years and what's good for the for our country in those re- retirement years is this, that when you get to a place in life where you're ready to relax and live out your days, you should be able to and make room for the next generation that will step in and serve. And uh, what's the old the old um, <clears throat> philosophy? Um a society becomes great when old men plant trees under which uh, – whose, uh, whose shade under which they will never sit. In other words, as older people, we plant trees for the younger generation to sit under the shade of those trees. That's what makes a society great. I believe in that, that purpose very much, but the system as it stands, if you want to look at how we're bankrupting America, you want to know why we have such great deficits, it's Medicare, it's Medicaid, it's Social Security. It's not you. That's not me saying we should get rid of it. It's not me saying we should slash it. It's me recognizing that this is what's bankrupting America. Is there a way of doing things that would be better for the next generation of Americans that are just starting? So your kids now that are in high school, is there a plan in place that when they turn 18 and they hit the job market, is there a way so that when they get to be our age – that they are sitting on a future that is more secure than the one we have right now because the system we have right now is scheduled to run out of money in a few years. So this is the question, and instead of it being this political firestorm of Republicans want to get rid of it, and this is the scare tactic that goes out to older people. And let's be honest. If you're listening to this show, you enjoy news. You enjoy listening to people that you agree or disagree with sometimes. You like to think about these issues and talk about these issues. There are a lot of people that don't. 
There are a lot of people that the only time that they hear about the Phoenix Suns is when 6,000 people show up for a press conference for a new player in town. And or when we get a new head coach in, at the Arizona Cardinals and they don't pay attention to football season until football season. And then they look up the score to see if the Cardinals won or lost or ASU won or lost. That doesn't mean they're not fans. That means that they are not as astute as many other people are on the issue. So having people say things like this kind of bothers me because I don't think anybody wants to get rid of it. Another program that's becoming very popular are guaranteed income programs in town, in towns. And these welfare programs, I think, um, instead of being a safety net, what they are is they are an anchor. And that's where the problem lies with people is you become dependent on something. And when you become dependent on something and it gets taken away from you, you're worse off than when you started. And this is what's bothersome. We should be giving people opportunities. And we just – it's not the direction it seems to be going that somehow that people believe that you should have a basic income. Without any restriction, without any um, oversight, without any um, questions about why you're in a situation where you can't support yourself. And I don't think that that's valuable to anybody in society, certainly not to the people that are footing the bill and certainly not to the people that find themselves in a bad place. To anybody out there that has been – was raised poor and is still poor, how has the government helped you not be poor? What they've helped you do is tread water. And you know as well as I do the way the rules are set up. If you were to start working and you get to a certain threshold, which is not a very high threshold sometimes, they take that assistance away from you. So people say, why should I work to end up in the same place I already am without working? Well, that's not motivating anybody to do anything. We used to – we should be – you know, we're getting rid of honors classes. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Getting rid of honors classes in in the name of equity. Um, well, what that does is it doesn't it doesn't motivate anybody to excellence. When you look at some of the ideals of equality, when they say we're everybody's equal outcomes, Fidel Castro and what he told the people of Cuba and how everybody was going to share in the prosperity of that great country. Um, no, everybody shares in mediocrity or poverty. There is no success. And we're seeing the same thing in other places. And and so there is not – chasing the golden ring, the corner office, there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. And it is concerning to me to see how this is – the direction this heads because it seems like we're motivating people to mediocrity. We're motivating people to acceptance of circumstances. And I don't believe that's an American principle. I think as Americans, our principles are if you you can accomplish anything. Remember that in America, you can do anything you want to. You can be president of the United States. You can be anything you want to be. That's what we used to tell our kids. Now it's you can't make it because of the color of your skin. You can't. People oppress you. Uh, We're going to give this other group of people a guaranteed income because they can't do it on their own. And I just think that's the wrong message. I think the right message is telling people it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. But by the time you get there, you're going to be proud of yourself. And you should be. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about what I thought was one of the most absurd things ever said. Uh, Don Lemon from CNN was going to go after Nikki Haley because Nikki Haley wants to have a, a test 
to make sure that people have the capabilities of being in office and making laws for anybody over the age of 75. So he tries to say in front of two women on his panel that he's with on CNN that uh, Nikki Haley is not in her prime because of her age. Ooh, it didn't end well. We'll let you hear it in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show. Um, I want you to hear this comment um, from Don Lemon at CNN. I thought this was hysterical. So what happened was Nikki Haley announced that she is running for president. One of the things she wants to do is she wants a competency test for lawmakers over the age of 75 that if they're going to make American laws, they should show themselves to be competent. And so, of course, people are outraged because President Biden is in office and she's alluding to the fact that he's 80. Well, look at Dianne Feinstein. Look at Nancy Pelosi. They are up in years. They're also members of the Republican Party. Same thing. I think that there's a time for a new guard. I think that the failure of American politics, and I will speak specifically of Republican politics because I'm a Republican and I've seen it, is that it's an area where they go against what every successful organization I've ever seen does. What I mean by that, what I mean by that is um, successful organizations and the ones that I've seen um, – the successful organizations are always fostering growth from younger people. I will use where I work as an example. Um, I mean, the, you know, we have a newsroom. We've, I think we've got the best newsroom in the Valley, and I'm not just biased. I've seen them in action. Uh, we've got great journalists that work here, and we promote from within. We have people that come to work here as interns from the Cronkite School. We are always bringing in new blood, giving younger people an opportunity at success, and it is a great way to foster the next generation so that when people like me are out, when the people that have been around for a long time are out, there is a strong bench that is ready to jump in and take over, whether it's what I do in talk radio or what our newsroom does in producing what I think is the best news in the Valley. They are always promoting from within and helping younger people be better. And now, if you're worried about losing your job, you're not going to help somebody else. And that's what American politics has turned into. American politics has turned into, I don't want to lose my office. I'm not giving this up. I'm going to be here till I'm 93. You're going to pry that gavel out of my hands, and I don't think it's good for America. So Nikki Haley is saying, if you're going to be over 75 years old, you should take a competency test to show that you are still competent to do the job. Listen, even in Arizona, when you get to a certain age, you got to take a test before you get a driver's license. So Don Lemon is calling this out that, you know, she's not exactly in her prime, but man, does he step in it. This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley is in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking about? That's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. And it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, 
I got it another decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that you know politicians aren't in their prime. You need to qualify. Are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking about prime for being president? Facts are Google and everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google Google or whatever it is. One of the women stormed off the set, not happy. So Don Lemon then tries to apologize and says, the reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant. As colleagues and loved ones have pointed out, and I regret it, a woman's age doesn't define her either personally or professionally. I have countless women in my life who prove that every day. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um... But Nikki Haley's response to all of this was hysterical. To be clear, this is Nikki Haley in a tweet. To be clear, I am not calling for a competency test for sexist middle-aged CNN anchors, only for people who make our laws and are 75 plus. Um, it was somebody that is trying to take a shot at somebody in a political party he doesn't agree with and just said the dumbest thing possible. And instead of saying, hang on, that's not what I mean. What I'm saying is she's complaining about somebody not being in their prime and she's not exactly a spring chicken, whatever. But man, though he made everybody angry. Some of the dumbest comments ever made. But let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about competency. Let's talk about somebody and what we ought to be doing and and whether it's a law or it's not a law. Why is it that we see people, whether it's in local, state or the federal government, that get into an office and they stay until they're unable to do the job? You know, I would have never agreed with Dianne Feinstein's positions on politics, but Dianne Feinstein was a brilliant woman, mayor of San Francisco, moved on to be a senator. She's a very smart woman, a powerful woman in Washington. They just announced that she's not running for re-election and she didn't remember it her staff had to remind her that they put out a statement saying she's not these are the people she is one of the most powerful women in washington now that doesn't mean that once you're older that you aren't competent but it does mean the tests have to happen and none of us should be angry about that and all of us should be rethinking how we do things and i'm saying this i mean this toward my political party in arizona i'm not going after democrats here the republican party in arizona should be looking at these young talented people in your party the college republicans the the yrs the young republicans the teenage republicans the tars they should be looking at those people and they should be giving them internships they should be teaching them the process they should be fostering growth in them and excitement about politics. They should be looking at the next generation of leaders, and they don't do it well enough. They do it, but they don't do it well enough. People get in offices. They hang on to the offices until they can't do them anymore, and it's way past their prime, and it's not what's in the best interest of your political party or the state, the local government, or the federal government. And I don't think Nikki Haley's wrong for saying what she said, but man, Don Lemon stepped in it. Don Lemon stepped in it. I'm going to be um, I'm going to be in New York um, going into next week, and uh, I'm going to actually be at CNN. And I hope I get to meet Mr. Lemon. That would be uh, I'd love to have that conversation coming up just after uh, 10 o'clock. President Biden makes no apologies for the balloon. We'll talk about that in a moment. 